In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth, and beginning with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip, that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about navigating life in the light of faith. We take the issues that are important to us, citizens and Catholics living in the world today, and we take the eternal truths that are guarded by the Catholic Church and talk about how we apply those as we make decisions and live our lives in, um, in, our, in our country and in our world. Today on the episode, His Excellency Bishop Strickland, the founder of the St. Philip Institute, and I are here talking to Tyler Rowley. Tyler is the author and editor of a new book that just came out this month from Ignatius Press called Because of Our Fathers. 23 Catholics tell how their fathers led them to Christ. This book is about a father's crucial role and responsibility as the spiritual leader of his family in the domestic church. And Tyler says of this book that our families, culture, and our church will continue to suffer. Those are powerful words. Will continue to suffer until an authentic Catholic fatherhood is restored among the faithful. So he gathered together a group of men uh, who are known Catholics and asked them to write their stories about how their own fathers led them to Christ, helped them lead their lives towards Christ and guide their families, uh, as big as their families may be, in the same direction. Thank you for being here with us today, Tyler. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Bishop Strickland. I really appreciate the invite. Thank you, Tyler. Tyler, can you tell, I mean, I'm very, I love the cover of the book, just, you know, you can judge a book by its cover. The, the cover is just beautiful. It has these black and white photos of all these fathers and sons, these moments. And I, I found myself looking at it thinking, I really want to know each of those stories. I mean, the pictures sort of start the story. Um, and it says, because of our fathers, which is just almost, uh, it gives you chills thinking about, here are real stories about how fathers really had an impact in their children's lives and salvation. Um, and then you see the list of all the people that are in the book. Um, it really makes you want to grab it and open it and, and read about what's going on. And I'm sure that it inspires men everywhere to become these fathers. What um, Can you tell us about how you, how you got this idea and how it came to be, this book that is now in print? Sure. The, I can. It's, I have a very specific kind of trail of memory of of how this book came about, and it's it's um, very humbling. It's been it's probably been about two and a half years in, in the making since um, since the genesis of the idea. I was I was driving. I was listening to Catholic radio, and 
Father Gerald Murray from the Archdiocese of New York City was speaking on, on the radio station, and he was talking about where he was the previous week, which was bur burying his father. So he was talking a lot about his dad that day, that morning. And this one story that he told um, really stuck in my mind, and I, I know why it stuck in his mind. Uh, he was about seven or eight years old, and his father, you know, was leaving for work in the morning like he did every day. And something tipped the young boy off that his father was going to mass before he went to work. And he kind of realized that, oh, wow, my dad goes to mass every single day before work. He didn't know that. He just thought he went to work. So he said, you know, he's kind of like bewildered and said, dad, you, why do you go to mass every day? We only have to go on Sunday. And his response was, yeah, we only we only have to go on Sunday, but I love to be with Christ in the Eucharist every single day. And it was like a spark in Father Murray's mind as an eight-year, seven, eight-year-old boy. And he'll tell you that, you know, that conversation would, you know, would eventually lead him to the priesthood. And I heard that story and I was just, you know, you get chills listening to it. So when I heard that story... I remember my mind immediately shot back to an email that my priest sent me, um, Father Hyacinth, the Dominican priest at the time, my Dominican priest at the time. And it was just a, it was an email about a study that was done, which I cite in the book. Um, it was a Swiss study about generational transmission of faith. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, it showed these really striking numbers, how children the, the faith of children is, is very, very, very more, more correlated to the father's faith uh, and what and what he chose to do than, than even the mother. And I just remember that email, just reading those numbers and being very taken back of how, um, how striking they were. So, and then I kind of started to think about all the people in my life, you know, either family members or friends. I just started to kind of go through them in my mind one, th one by one. And every single one, it was ringing true. The study, you know, that study and Father Murray's story were kind of making me go through this mental Rolodex. And I said, man, this really does seem to be sort of the silver bullet of evangelization, that if without fathers practicing and passing on the faith, we really have very little chance of, of evangelizing a culture, having a Catholic identity in, in our country, our, our world of, of spreading the gospel. So that's kind of where the idea was born. I said, you know, there's got to be so if this is true, you know, if study is true and, and if my kind of sphere of friends, this is this is true, then there's got to be so many stories like Father Murray's out there. And I just started I picked up the phone and I started calling some people that I knew, um, I know, uh, not, not that I knew, I mean, I had to recently call Patrick Madrid and Father Paul Scalia. Those were kind of two names that came to my mind um, right off the bat, because I knew Patrick Madrid had, had talked about his dad sometimes. And I, you know, obviously I know who Father Paul Scalia's uh, father is, the late Supreme Court Justice. Um, so I kind of started there. I kind of wanted to see if people would be interested in talking about their fathers. And there were two things that I noticed. First of all, the the thesis was ringing true in these conversations that I was having, mm -hmm. because if, if you think about it, I'm I'm thinking of people who I who I know as serious Catholics, but I know nothing about their fathers. 
but if my but if the thesis is true, they will have you know uh, serious dedicated Catholic fathers. But I would say that of you know if I asked thirty five people to contribute to the book, you know thirty of them um, had very relevant stories of 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 you know serious committed Catholic fathers. So that the the whole thesis of the book was ringing true just in in the conversations I was having about the contributors, with the contributors. And then the second thing was that almost everybody was so willing to jump at the opportunity to talk about their dad. Um, Mm. Says, I think, a lot about their gratitude and how obvious it was to these people that their father played, you know, the primary and critical role in in who they are today, especially when it comes to their Catholic identity. Um, so that was, and, and, and that was probably my favorite part of the whole project was getting to know these 23 people and kind of having, you know, 23 new Catholic friends from, you know, all, all across the country. Um, and that's kind of, that was the, that was the genesis of it. That's great, Tyler. Yeah. I mean, kudos to you for having this idea and, and honestly having the courage to follow through with it, because it, it takes a, it takes a very trusting person to pick up the phone and start making those phone calls. You have, I just want to read off some of the um, stories that you have here. Bishop Strickland's, of course, um, Patrick Madrid, you mentioned, Abby Johnson, uh, uh, let's see, Father Rocky, Matt Burke, Jesse Romero, uh, Mary Hassan in Washington, D.C., and uh, Chris Check at Catholic Answers, Frank Hanna, Father John Ricardo, and more. Um, th- that is, that is a, that, that's a part of all of these people that I think no one's really heard before from, mm-hmm. from all of them, uh, the story about their childhood and their father. Um, Bishop Strickland wrote a story for your book. <laughs> And, yes, he uh, and I noticed he wrote, he wrote it. He wrote it quicker than anyone else too, because Bishop, <laughs> I emailed Bishop Strickland late one night to ask if he would consider writing a, a a blurb for the back of the book, or possibly possibly a forward for the book. And then he responded so quickly and enthusiastically that I knew that he must have a good story about his father. So mm-hmm. I kind of changed my request, and I said, well. <laughs> If Ignatius, I mean, this, the book was very close to going to, to print. And I said, if Ignatius Press is willing to hold off, you know, a week or two, could do you think you could write an essay? Just be one of the contributors. And like, you know, like the other contributors, you know, his the response was, of course. And that was very, very gracious of him, um, mm-hmm. but took the time to write a beautiful essay about his father. And I'll say that Bishop Strickland's father seems to be the most relatable uh, to me and, and, and my father. Um, really? and, and yeah, and his story is, is quite good about, you know, a father who, um, was a convert to the faith and who, um, was willing to, um, you know, um, please his wife, um, it was his vocation to, to do to do anything for, for his wife, including, you know, getting a, a church kind of the Catholic church going in Atlanta, Texas, where, where they just moved, <laughs> but there was, there was yeah. no church in his, um, yeah. Bishop Strickland's mother requested that, you know, that's one of the things that w- was a must. And, um, but he also taught, you know, it's not, it's not romanticized to the point where, you know, you get this picture of this perfect man who, yeah. ne- who had no faults. Um, you know, he, he, you know, very, 
you know, very um, succinctly just, you know, points out that, of course, you know, his father had his faults and that the family had their struggles. And but he was he was a, an example of a good man um, yeah. that that lit that lived the faith and maybe didn't, you know, wasn't, uh, you know, um, inclined to be able to, you know, teach the deepest truths about the faith. Um, and, and very few people are, but a yeah. good person who knew that the church was important, who got on his knees every Sunday, who was a good husband, who was a good father, and who was, you know, provided for his family and was and was humble. I get I get the sense of, you know, a lot of St. Joseph and um, and Bishop Strickland's fathers as, as well as mine. Yeah. Yeah, Tyler, I, I think that's great. And one of the things that when you first contacted me, it's been an ongoing theme in my ministry as a bishop, um, the need for good fathers. I've read similar studies to the one that you mentioned that it's just exponentially more powerful. Um, and I believe we have to look to God the Father. I, I think there's a real design there that we tend to discount and tend to overlook in today's culture. But it's one of those things as Catholics that it just resonates through centuries of Catholic culture and Catholic teaching. I mean, we have the Holy Family. You mentioned St. Joseph, um, and there's a great movement that I certainly uh, support, uh, my namesake, St. Joseph, um, but he's a, a model of a father in a lot of ways, and, and I feel like, I mean, it's an honor to our fathers to be compared to St. Joseph, um, but I think that's a, a very godly man kind of image because they're, they're, it's a lot like they're the star of the show in a sense. And um, sort of my father would have been, I mean, if they were making a movie, he would have been in the supporting cast. But in the, in the essential things of what it means to be a man, what it means to be a godly man, what it means to be a Catholic man, I think my father really demonstrated that and it sounds like yours did as well and i haven't had a chance to read the book it's on my stack of books to read but um i'm sure a lot of the stories have have similar elements like that because we need godly men in the culture today and certainly godly men who are fathers and families um are are essential to the family and and like um dr stacy began with the quote uh, we are in in a dangerous time where men are, are not sure of their role and um, the father in a family is often absent or just not really supported in the ways that he needs to be. Um, God is still making the same good men that our fathers were and their fathers were and their fathers were, but the culture is making it a, a harder hill to climb to be that rock that my father was um, in my family. Amen. Absolutely. And the story, the, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, when you, you read through these stories, you know, one thing you might, some people might expect is they're going to, you know, they're going to read, you know, about, you know, St. Teresa Lasso's parents every, every single chapter. That's, <laughs> you know, you're, you're really not. They, um, you know, my wife's going through the book right now, and I have some friends that are going through it. And the word that keeps coming back is accessible, you know, mm -hmm. very re you know, relative, accessible uh, people that you can uh, that you can understand and that weren't perfect. But they were the were the men in these <clears throat> children's lives that 
complimented the love that their mother had for them and showed them, you know, that that love that is necessary uh, from a father. You know, there's um, there's our culture today wants to kind of tell us that, you know, men and women are, are the same and there, and there aren't these differences between us. And that leads to all sorts of problems, including the family and including what we think is necessary for a family. Uh, a father has, you know, as Catholics, we know this, it's almost, you know, it's almost silly to even say, but a very specific, not just important, but specific and different role than the mother. The father is the first person to say yes to the child after the, the mother has this biological reality um, that, that connects her to the child. The father stays willingly to love the child. And to a child, he that child knows that. That young boy or young girl, you know, from, from an early age and then and then and then into their teenage years, they start to understand that that's the person who loved my mother and who loved me enough to stay in this relationship. And when they don't see that, when they have when their father is someone who lives somewhere else, who doesn't participate in the family, um, who doesn't participate in their spiritual or even their physical needs, that leaves questions in, in the child's mind. So why do, why didn't that person love me? Why didn't anyone else but mom love me enough love me enough to stay in this family? Who am I supposed to be? You know, especially boys when they're thinking, you know, when they're thinking of who, who, who am I supposed to become in this world? Where did I come from? Who, who am I? Who am I being 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 led to be? Um, those questions go unanswered in so many kids' minds. And you know, I look at what's going on in the, in the streets all across our country, and that is at the at the forefront of what's happening is a resentment and an anger in so many young kids. Um, that is being, you know, and they're, they're they're lashing out because of it in ways that are unproductive because they didn't they don't have father they they're left with a with a father pain and and they're 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 lashing out in ways that are completely unproductive. That's a that's a great insight, Tyler. I really think that you really pinpoint um, because as you're as you're saying and as you're talking. It's, it's almost something that you, it's hard to name. It's hard to really, for a, a four, five, six-year-old child, um, they don't really know what they're experiencing. They know later on when they've missed it. Um, and we find even for men in the going into seminary formation these days, I mean, it's, it's much more complicated than it was 35 years ago when I was ordained a priest. Mm-hmm. Um, and the world wasn't heaven then, but as far as men coming into the seminary, now many of them are in counseling, and we have all are familiar with the family of origin issues. And a lot of those family of origin issues have to deal with dad wasn't there or, you know, things connected to dad. Um, and it, it's almost like the, the DNA of the human person needs that support structure for them to really flourish and when you pull the father out of the picture it's a hole in their heart it's not it's something that can't be replaced by any other amount of love i mean the mothers absolutely I, i love that image that you bring because the mothers biologically in a sense are 
tuned to love their children. Mm -hmm. There right. are even hormones that kick in that help to make that happen. But the father really makes a choice, hopefully, out of in the, the model of family that we believe in, in a marriage where he already loves that woman. And so he knows that a child, a boy or girl, male or female, is going to be uh, the fruit of that love. And so he's already um, ready to welcome new life as part of the love of his spouse. Right. Uh, but when that all breaks down, it really breaks down. And I, I right. totally agree that what we're seeing, it, the violence and the, the senselessness of it, is rooted in the that hole in people's heart where that and it may not certainly always be the father issue but that is a dominant issue that fractures people if they don't have and and as we've said my father wasn't perfect i'm sure yours wasn't um but you know that there i mean as you get older and as we mature i know this happened in my life and I think I allude to it even in my essay that as we get a little smarter ourselves, a little more mature, a little older, we start to see the great good that our parents did, our fathers and our mothers, but specifically focusing on fathers. Some of the things that we may resent or may question as young kids and teenagers, we begin to really say, you know, dad had it right and he was making the tough choice to really love us instead of being the pal that I think a lot of fathers in our culture now are, are challenged to just be the pal of their kids. Right. Kids don't need a pal. They need a father. Right. And, and I make a, there's an important point to make here. So in, in this conversation, we're, we're talking the last, you know, five, 10 minutes, we're talking about sort of these sociological mm -hmm. uh, truths that, that, that form because of fatherlessness. And I make the point in the book that I'm not the book is not to re rehash those things. I think w one of my sentences is something to the effect of if, if sociology ever yielded a conclusive truth, it is that fatherlessness causes immense pain in children's lives. And, th and this is documented in study after study, whether it's abortion or homelessness or dropout rates or suicide. So my job in the book is not to. Uh, explain that again. What I'm saying in the book is that take that sociological truth of what the lack of a father does to a child. Now, the, in the same vein, the lack of a spiritual father leads to spiritual pain, spiritual mm -hmm. deadness, right? So you can be, you know, you can be a great father in the sense that you're providing for all of the, you know, physical needs of your, of your child. But are you giving him, are you passing on to him the faith? Are you explaining to him the reasons, you know, for, for existence, the reasons uh, for, for why material goods are good at all? Mm -hmm. um, so the, the, the point is very simple, that, you know, the lack of a father leads to a lot of pain. And then the lack of, so therefore the lack of a kind of a, a spiritual leader in the household leads to spiritual pain. Um and if, you know, if I make the point in the book that, you know, one of the first things that our God did uh, what, what, after the incarnation was to provide Jesus with a father. And if Jesus needed a father, how much more do you and I need a father? How, how much more do you and I need 
that type of family, that perfectly formed uh, structure, father and mother in a lifetime relationship, raising the children that they created. If, if Jesus needed that, we need that. And, and when, when that's, when we don't have that, I mean, everything from a study to your own personal, um, your personal examples in your own life, you know, you'll, you'll see that it, it, it leads to deadness, you know, without the father, things, things cease. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking about daughters too, because, um, fathers are very important to their daughters. They're, they're very important so that their daughters know what kind of man to pick as a husband. I mean, there's all kinds of studies on daughters too. What happens to them when they don't have the father figure, the spiritual father in their life, um, showing them what it looks like, uh, to be to have a good man um mm-hmm. and i noticed you had some women on the list who wrote too uh, about that um abby johnson and mary hassan um but i you know i have i'm speaking about daughters because i have five daughters and two sons but i know with all of those daughters it is so important that they even know what a father looks like so that when they start making choices about who to date and who to pick to be the leader of their own families they they know what qualities they're looking for. They know what a spiritual leader looks like. It's I know I know everybody's heard that before. If if I've heard it in the context of daughters, but it applies to sons too. If that child doesn't have a spiritual father to look up to, that child doesn't really know what to think of God. And I, I know a lot of people have had very bad misconceptions about God and turned away from God because they don't want that father. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I thought, for you know, for a brief moment, this was going to be um, all men talking about their fathers. And then I kind of couldn't didn't have a good reason for why I would um, why I would do that. So mm-hmm. because the, all the studies show the same thing for, for daughters, you know, mm-hmm. all the all the statistics are just as bad um, for young girls as they are for young boys when father isn't around. So um, I believe there's there's five or six uh, women who give give their witnesses of their father and they're beautiful um i think chloe langer hers always sticks out her her dad um was adopted and didn't have um very good upbringing himself and he kind of had he had this sort of father wound in his life but he he made this personal decision to really stop um to stop that trend you know in 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 his life and he wasn't going to pass on that wound to his children um, and he became Catholic. And when his, when his, when Chloe, I believe Chloe was his oldest of, of uh, nine children, when she was um, conceived, he wrote a letter to her that she was, to, she was to read when she was 18. Um, and she's not much older than 18. So she wrote her essay fairly soon after she would have uh, read the letter that her father wrote to her 18 years before. Um, so that was a, that was a beautiful story, but lots of beautiful stories like that. Um, I have an excerpt that I was gonna I was gonna read. Do you want me to read a quick sure. excerpt? Something that kind of, really I thought this this is from uh, Father Hezekiah. He's the he's the founder of the Institute of Catholic Culture, and um, he I'll, I'll I'll read I'll read. It's a couple paragraphs long, but I'll kind of explain why I chose that just to read. It says, by the time I was born in 1975, my father had, by all accounts, done quite well for himself. He was married, had a good job, owned his own home, and had three children. From the world's perspective, all was on track. One thing was missing, however. 
the constant economic concerns for his family had taken their toll. And following the path of so many in secularized America, he had wandered away from the church. As a result, my brother and I, the youngest of our siblings, were not baptized, and we did not attend church as a family on Sundays. Soon, the marriage of my parents, established as it was without a sure anchor in faith, was overcome by the disease of divorce, which tore my family apart in ways that cannot be described. Through, he goes on a little bit. Through the evils that came upon my family, the Lord intervened and led my father through the valley of the shadow of death, bringing him back to the church with a faith renewed by suffering. Having lost his father at a young age and now his wife and children through the evil of divorce, my father was left with nothing. It was here in the depths of despair, living in a studio apartment in a physician dormitory, that he discovered the only one who could give him the security and hope he so desperately desired. Although my father's return to the Catholic faith of his childhood was a slow, circuitous one, each stage of the journey was like a rung of a ladder that the Lord used to lift my father out of the perilous spiritual situation in which he found himself. So I like that because Father Hezekiah and his brother became priests, to, you know, after and and I can almost guarantee you that wouldn't happen without that change in the father's life those you know that happened through despair um the witness of seeing a father that was broken um but that you know didn't give up was courageous um got his life in order and you know turned to god got on his knees prayed took them to church um and then you know the result was you know that he goes on to say that their their sister is a is a nurse that you know that cares for people and and the two the two brothers are priests and very very dedicated and good priests. And I just thought it was, um, it shows the dichotomy of what, you know, where a family can go if the, if the father is not the spiritual leader and the other direction it can go when he decides to amend his life and to be an example to his children. I'm re really glad you shared that, Tyler, because I think it touches on something that uh, I think we, I would hope we can encourage people because I can imagine some would read your book and uh, either men or women, sons or daughters, and really kind of uh, despair because they're maybe they, they have a very broken father reality. And especially I'm thinking of men who are fathers and maybe would read these stories and say, I just don't measure up. Um, I think what I would encourage, and I think your story alludes to this, is to really encourage all fathers that are presently fathers. It's a difficult world to be a father in, either a spiritual father like an ordained priest or the father of a family. And I would encourage fathers to turn to their heavenly father. I mean, that is the power that you describe in that story of Father Hezekiah's father. He came to know God the Father. And God the Father is available for all of us, men and women, boys and girls, young and old. We can always turn to that perfect model of Father. Um, and that is really a choice that, in a sense, we have to make over and over again, even for myself as a, as a bishop, for yourself as a father of a family, for Dr. Stacy as a mother of a family. We need to turn to God the Father there's a, a great uh, book that I read just this summer uh, about a 33-day consecration mm -hmm. to God the Father. 
And I think it had a real impact on me, but I would hope that your book can be an instrument of, of hope for anyone who reads it, um, because we can all kind of you see those stories, and, and thankfully they are accessible. They're not some sort of uh, perfect image of father that nobody can live up to. They're real fathers that had their failings. But I, I think that every father, um, all of us, children of God, we can always turn to God the Father. He is the model of fatherhood. He is the essence of fatherhood. And I, I just wanted to emphasize that because I think there is a lot of despair in families, a lot of men that just feel like they can't do it and they're failing. Um, and I would encourage all of us can have the experience that uh, to whatever degree we're distant from God the Father, we can all make that decision to to really come to know him more deeply and to follow his call in our lives. So I, I hope and pray that your book can bring a lot of hope to fathers and mothers who may be struggling. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you so much for being here today with us and talking more about how your book came to be and how Bishop Strickland came to have a story in that book. Um, I, too, hope that many lives are changed by this book, and we're very grateful for it. Can you tell people um, where they can find more about you on the Internet? Sure. Uh, I've tried to make it as easy as possible. Catholicfatherbook.com. Catholicfatherbook.com. Um, you can read more about it, see all the contributors there. Um, you can purchase it. You can uh, read a little bit more about me as well. All right. Thank you. Ty Tyler, you are a father. You are. You have three children, correct? I have three children, Gerard, Fulton, and Eve Marie. My wife is Nicole. And um, I'm doing my best to live up to my own advice every day. Oh, God Great. bless you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Everyone, please check out the stphilipinstitute.org website. You'll find a full set of um, our standardized resources for CCD, Faith Formation, uh, RCIA, English and Spanish. And uh, we're getting ready to have a full set of those classes online available throughout the diocese. So check us out. Thank you for being here today, and we will close by asking Bishop Strickland to give us a blessing. The Lord be with you. And with your, and with spirit. your spirit. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for Tyler and all the fathers that have been and will be touched by the book that he has written because of our fathers. We pray for mothers and fathers and families to always know the hope that the Son of God the Son of the Father, brings to the world through His light, through His truth, and through the grace of their Spirit. May all families be strengthened in your love and grace. And may the Blessed Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, the mother of God, be interceding for us constantly to help us all be better fathers, better mothers, better sons and daughters. And we ask this blessing in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.